before we begin, I want to let you know about the project that we are running this month, the month of August. This is uh, the annual Torch Podcast Improvement Month. As you know, we have a lot of different podcasts that the great uh, team, my colleagues and I at Torch produce. We work very hard about it. We make a very big emphasis on trying to really, you know, release polished, exciting, interesting, stimulating, intriguing uh, content. And uh, we decided to designate the month of August as a month where we tried to improve what we do. And part of that is some internal stuff. We had some internal meetings about it, and we still have more of that scheduled. But also, uh, we want to get a survey uh, from all the listeners and all the participants to chime in on, you know, what they like and what they don't like. And we crafted a, a survey. And uh, you can find that survey in the link of every podcast that's going to be released in this month. But also, you can go to torchsurvey.com and right away it'll populate the uh, the survey. It's, it, it takes about probably, you know, five minutes or so to finish. And it kind of gives us uh, a picture of the demographics, first of all, and the listening habits and what people like, what, what people don't like. One of the things I'm very proud of, very proud of, uh, is that um, in the podcast platform that I use for most of my shows, uh, there is a metric where they show not just how many people are listening, how many people are downloading, where they're from. There's also a, a met- metric called impactful plays, meaning what percentage of the people who are listening listen for more than 75% of a given episode. And uh, my number has climbed from 90% to 94%. So I don't know if people are listening to it in their sleep and they're falling asleep with it. I know some people do that. Uh, I guess it has um, that sort of uh, a soporific effect on people, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, but to me, that's very, I, I'm very proud of that. People are listening, not just tuning in and then tuning out, but they're listening um, in, 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 in a substantial way. Uh, but I'm always trying to think of how I can improve different ideas, different formats, different content, uh, different areas, but also what else we can do for our audience. We want to be more of a full, full service, uh, place. You know, the, the, the word torch stands for Torah Outreach Resource Center of Houston. The R is resource. Uh, even though the H is Houston, but now it's more like the hemisphere. Which hemisphere? All hemispheres. Because we have listeners and participants and students all over the globe. So it's really hemispheres. Uh, but it's still rooted in, in Houston, Texas. But the R stands for resource. We want to think about what other areas we can serve as uh, a resource for, for people. You know, given that we have this incredible blessing, the internet, and we could really touch people all over the world, what else can we do to help enrich the spiritual experience and the educational experience of the people who are partaking in our content. Uh, so if you're interested, go to torchsurvey.com, look at the questions and maybe fill it out and help us improve the podcasts for the month of August, which is again, Torch Podcast Improvement Month. I will tell you, we had a conversation uh, internally and I had this idea and uh, my colleague, Rabbi Busto, I thought it was maybe the worst idea of all time. I said, you know, when when people have have a podcast they enjoy and they think it's valuable and they listen to it and they learn from it and they're ed- educated and entertained with it and they may feel an impulse to try to share it with their friends. 
But how do you share a podcast? It's kind of, there's no really natural way to do it. So I said, maybe we could release, you know, business cards. On one side of the card, it would have, let's say, the logo of a given podcast. And at the back, it would have, let's say, a link or a QR code so people could, you know, subscribe on their own phone. And they just, you know, take their phone, take a picture of the QR code. Right away, it'll populate the 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 Spotify or the Apple Podcasts link, and they can right away subscribe. So I had this idea, and I shared it. I was so excited about this idea. I shared it with my colleagues. And the Rabbi Buster, the average rabbi, says, that is such a terrible idea. That's just an awful idea. How did you come up with such a bad idea? If you took all the ideas in the world, this is the worst. So I said, okay, if it's such a terrible idea, we could we could share it with the audience and see what they think. So in my partnership podcast that I recorded last week, I said, well, is this a good idea or not? And I got kind of a mixed response. Some people said, you know what? Rabbi Buster was right. This is a terrible, terrible idea. But some people said, you know, send me some cards. So I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but given that it doesn't cost so much money to print some business cards, we, please God, will be printing some business cards. And if you want some to share with a friend, if you think maybe it's not such a terrible idea, send me an email, rabbiwalbeijimit.com, and I will send you, please God, some in the mail. And we'll see. It's a testable idea. You don't have to spend so much money. You could just experiment on a small scale and see if it works. See if it is a useful tool to help grow the audience of our shows and help, you know, uh, touch more people. And that's really what we're trying to do, trying to touch more people, connect more people with the glorious heritage and the great gift that we have, the gift of Torah. But uh, go to torchserver.com, click the link in the description and see if you can uh, fill it out and let us know about how we can improve what we're doing. I want to share a few ideas with you today uh, based upon a verse in uh, this past week's Parsha. And this past week we read Parsha's Akev. And in chapter 10 of the book of Devarim, verses 12 and 13, we read some very interesting and surprising verses. The verse tells us, Moshe is, of course, speaking to the Jewish people. He's about to pass, and he's sharing his final message with the nation. And he tells the nation, and now, O Israel, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you? If you just had that as an introduction, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you? That is the, you know, the, the, the greatest clickbait of all time. What does God want of you? You know, if you believe in God, that's step one. Step two is is really daunting. Okay, there is an absolute truth. There is a purpose to creation. Once you realize that, a certain degree of responsibility descends upon your shoulder. Okay, well, what does it mean for me? What are the implications of faith? And here Moshe, the greatest prophet of all time, is telling us, what does God want of you? It seems like he's trying to simplify and crystallize and distill, boil down to the essence of all of Torah. Now, it's a little bit of a problem, as we shall see, because we believe that the entire Torah, from the first word of Genesis to the final word of Devarim Deuteronomy, it's all what God wants of us. It's all the will of God. The word Torah means instruction. What does it mean, instruction? Instruction of God to us. It's the manual for living. And Moshe is saying, I will tell you 
What does God want of us? And that seems to imply that this upcoming verse, or what he's going to say, is what God wants of us to the exclusion, perhaps, of something else. And that's why it's a very problematic verse, just before you even get to the content of what Moshe is going to tell us. The whole notion, the whole principle, the whole concept of part of the Torah being what God wants of us, implying that part of the Torah is not what God wants of us, that is quite problematic. Continues Moshe. What does Hashem your God want of you? Ki im only to fear Hashem your God. We know that our religious and spiritual life is broken down into really two, fear of God and love of God. And now Moshe is telling the Jewish people, what does Hashem want of us? Only to fear Hashem your God. But then Moshe doesn't stop. He continues to go in all his ways. What does it mean to go in the ways of God? It means to emulate God. There are eight verses in the Torah that tell us this idea. That when we learn something about God and how he behaves, how he treats people, that is supposed to be instructive to us because we're supposed to emulate him. We're supposed to walk in God's ways. So if God is merciful, then we should be merciful. If God is kind, then we should be kind. God visits the sick, as in Abraham, for example. Well, then we should do the same. We should walk in God's ways. We should emulate him. Moshe is telling the Jewish people, what does Hashem want of us? What does he ask of us? To fear God and to walk in his ways. Continues Moshe, and to love God and to serve God with all your heart and with all your soul. And he concludes, this is in verse 13, to observe, to guard the mitzvos of Hashem and the statutes that I am commanding you today for your benefit. These verses, if you read them and you read them slowly, of course, there are many similar verses in Deuteronomy, so sometimes it gets lost. But if you just isolate these two verses, the, there's obviously a lot here to ponder and to ruminate upon. Now, this past Sunday, it was my daughter Miriam's 12th birthday. And of course, on the 12th birthday is the Bat Mitzvah. Now, she was born in August. And there's no school, and we're at a town, and therefore we wanted to celebrate or to mark her birthday, especially because now she's an halachic, a halachic adult. But of course, we made some you know small celebration for her friends when we get back uh, to Houston. But we were in Canada, and we got together, you know, the family for like a celebratory barbecue, you know, just some cousins and some aunts and uncles. Uh, just to mark and to celebrate her bat mitzvah or her assumption of adulthood. So, of course, I couldn't resist. And I said, okay, I'm going to give a little speech. Everyone knows that when these events happen, I just, I can't resist. So, I asked the following provocative question. I said, well, this is a bat mitzvah, right? We're celebrating that someone is now obligated in mitzvah. So, if someone's a child, they're a minor. Well, it's important to train them to educate them, to rear them to be righteous and to to follow the Torah. But now you're an adult. When a boy turns 13, a girl turns 12. They are obligated in every single mitzvah of the Torah. 
They're completely responsible for every law in the Torah. And we're celebrating it. We have this grand barbecue. And my mother-in-law even bought this very elaborate cake to celebrate. And we're all so joyous. And everyone's wishing her a mazel tov on her celebration. Everyone's very happy. So here's the provocative question. Wait a minute. Why are we celebrating? We're celebrating now. She's obligated in the mitzvahs. But is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I said, I will prove to you from the Talmud it's a bad thing. The Talmud tells us that there was a two and a half year long debate between the stools of Shammai and Hillel. And the subject matter of this debate was whether or not it is to our benefit or our detriment that we exist, that we are created. Is it preferable for us to be created? Or is it preferable for us to have not been created? Of course, this is, you know, it's too late, right? We're we're here. But humanity, are we better off being created or not being created? Now, obviously, there are benefits of being created and there are benefits of not being created. If you are created, well, then you have, you have the opportunity to do mitzvos. You can follow the word of God. And that, of course, is to your great benefit. But there is a benefit to have not been created because then you have no opportunity to blunder, to sin, to violate the will of God. And therefore, if you're created, there is the potential upside because you could do mitzvahs, but there's also the potential downside, meaning that you could violate the will of God and sully your soul and really harm yourself spiritually. We believe that any sin tarnishes the soul. And you have to address that. And this this is very serious. So to be created, there's potential upside. To be created, there's also potential downside, given that now you run the risk of, of sinning. But if you are not created, there's no downside. But there's also no upside. So what's better? This was a two and a half year long debate. The Talmud records it in the book of Erevin on page 13b, towards the bottom. And it's a fascinating conversation. You wonder what were the arguments that were posed over the course of this two and a half year debate. Imagine like a constitutional convention. That was only a few months in 1787. Imagine geniuses that exceeded the genius of the participants in the Constitutional Convention, spending not a few months, but a few years debating whether or not humanity is better off being created or not being created. Imagine what arguments were presented. We're not told the minutes. We don't have a record of the actual debates. But we do have the conclusion. And the conclusion is quite surprising. The conclusion is that we would be better off It would be preferable for us to have not been created. That's better for us. That's the conclusion of the Talmud. Of course, that raises all sorts of questions. And I think we spoke about this many, many years ago, about this Talmud and what it means and what the implications are, etc. But we have the bottom line 
of the Talmud. And that is that it's better to not be created than to, yes, be created. Because if you are not created, then yes, you have no mitzvos, but you also have no potential to violate the will of God. You cannot sin. Ergo, when someone ascends to adulthood, they have, at the same time, the obligation to fulfill the mitzvos, the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvos as someone who's obligated to fulfill those mitzvos. But they also have the risk now of violating the will of God. And if the Talmud tells us that this is not preferable, we'd rather stay not obligated and also not have the risk of violating the will of God, then we can deduce from the Talmud that it's not a good thing to be a barobat mitzvah. So why are we celebrating? That was the provocative question that I asked. Now, this was a barbecue and there were a lot of kids around. And it was a tough crowd, I have to say. So I asked that question like in, you know, 30 seconds. Because I was fighting the crowd. The crowd was resisting and they were chewing and eating and went to the chat. I had like four minutes of their attention span. That's it. I think I, I think I pushed the whole thing to maybe seven minutes. But again, the, the question is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very surprising one because you know, the, 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 the Talmud's conclusion seems to raise all sorts of questions for us. You know, God does good, not bad. So why would our creation, why would we conclude that our creation is for our detriment, not for our benefit? But the Talmud does make that conclusion. And therefore, we can ask the question, well, why is being bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah for that matter? Why is that something to celebrate? And I suggested an answer. The verse tells us, And now, O Israel, what does Hashem, your God, ask of you? And then it says, well, all he wants is... And then it lists the four most difficult things to do. All he wants is to fear Hashem, your God, to walk in his ways, to emulate Hashem, your God, to be like a walking example of godliness, to love Hashem, your God. And to service, to, 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 to worship Hashem your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. Those are the four hardest things in the world to do. And how does the verse frame it? How does Moshe frame it to the Jewish people? What does Hashem your God actually want? My goodness, how hard is it? It's only to fear Hashem your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him with all your hearts and with all your soul. There's a bait and switch. Moshe starts off by saying, yeah, this is easy. Come on. This is so eminently doable. And then he says, actually, no, it's, it's the fear of your God and to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then I said, who was the first person on record to fear Hashem, our God? Who was the first documented case? documented instance of fear of God. It's in Genesis, chapter 22. Abraham, he is 137 years old, and he is at the end of his 10 tests. And God tested him, and God said to him, take your son, your only son, your beloved son, take take Isaac and bring him to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. The same Isaac that God said, he is going to be your heir. He's going to be your descendant. He's going to be the one that's going to build your nation. Take him, 
and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, Abraham himself, he rose in opposition of the pagan way of life, which included child sacrifice. So this is a big test on Abraham. Because he has to violate his principles. And has to go against everything that he preached. And he has to take his son, whom he loves, whom God miraculously gave him and Sarah at a very advanced age. And he has to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham does that. And then the angel tells him, now I know. Now! After all that Abraham has gone through, preaching monotheism, disseminating monotheism, overcoming all sorts of challenges, traveling to Canaan, and all the stories of Abraham, now I know that you have fear of God. Now I know, to the exclusion of prior. Prior, we don't know that Abraham has fear of God. And now we are telling, Moshe is telling us, what does Hashem actually want of you? Come on, how hard is this? How hard is this already? Just to fear Hashem, your God. Is that easy? Abraham, when he was 137, he was already a prophet for 70 years, or 60 years to be precise. He's been a prophet for 60 years. And he's not yet someone who the Torah classifies as someone who has fear of Hashem, our God. And he does his 10 tests, and he finishes the 10 tests. Now I know that you have fear of God. And this is what Moshe is telling us. It's so easy. What does Hashem actually want? It's so easy just to fear Hashem. That's easy? That's a very lofty level. That's what Abraham reached after the 10th test. This is obviously a big, a big problem. And one of the great medieval sages addressed it. Rabbi Yosef Albo, who wrote the book called the Sefer HaIkrim, the book of the principles. This is a book that is a response, so to speak, to Maimonides, to Rambam's 13 principles of faith. And he says something unbelievable. He says that what Moshe is revealing to the Jewish people is what God actually wants of a person. He wants fear of God, walking in God's ways, loving God, and serving God with all your heart and with all your soul. What's the bottom line of Torah? What is the result of someone who is adhering to the will of God is a person who at the same time, has a relationship of love of God, as a child would have to a parent, fear of God as a servant would have to a master, emulating God, someone who's walking in God's ways, someone who's a living embodiment, a living representation of the will of God in the world, and someone who's serving Hashem, our God, with all their heart and with all their soul. That is the end state that is Desired by God. And of course, Abraham reached that. Abraham loved God. Abraham feared God. Abraham served God. And Abraham embodied God. Abraham achieved that. 
However, there's a very big difference between how Abraham achieved that and what Moshe is telling the Jewish people. Moshe is telling the Jewish people, and now, O Israel, now, after you've learned all of Torah, this is the last month of Moshe's life, now you have a great benefit over Abraham. How did Abraham achieve love of God, fear of God, walking in God's ways, serving God? How did he do that? He grew up in a pagan family, a pagan society, a pagan country. How did he do that? He did it on his own. He did it in opposition to everyone around him. He did it through some means. Maybe he studied the world. Maybe he pondered in his head. But he didn't have what you have, Moshe tells the Jewish people. He didn't have a manual for how to do this. He didn't have an instruction guide for how to do this. He didn't have a step-by-step guide, a roadmap to do this. He did it on his own. And if you want to do this on your own, it's going to take 137 years in the best case. And it's going to take offering Isaac as a sacrifice as the end cap, as the capstone of 10 tests. It's going to be lifelong dedication without direction. You have to figure it out on your own. That is Abraham. But you, O Israel, you have something Abraham does not have. Abraham existed before Sinai, before the giving of the Torah. Now we're afterwards. And now we have the precise instruction guide, step by step, every situation in life. The Jewish people have now been endowed with Torah, with instructions from God to Moshe, to us. And the end result of that is Abraham, is love of God, fear of God, walking in God's ways, and serving God with all your heart and with all your soul. It's an angel. It's a completely transformed human. It's someone so elevated and so transformed. So lofty, so angelic. But you don't need to follow the Abraham's way. You don't have to find out, stumble on your own, trial and error, thinking really hard to to know what to do. You have the great benefit. You've been blessed with Torah. And all you need to do is follow the Torah and follow the mitzvos. And those are the divinely instructed ingredients and processes and protocols and practices that you need to do. And they will transform you. Abraham achieved that on his own. Moshe is telling Jewish people, now Israel, you don't need to do that. You don't need to find fear of God in isolation, siloed off from the rest of humanity. You don't need to just grope in the darkness until you know what the ways of God are so you can emulate them. You don't need to spend so much time thinking about theology and finding out how you can love God. You don't need to stumble about to find how to serve God. All you need to do is follow the mitzvahs. And they are the precise instructions that guide you, that direct you towards this end goal. And if you just follow the mitzvahs, you will end up at the end point 
love of God, fear of God, walking in God's ways, and serving God. It's a shortcut to Abraham. And that's what Moses is telling the Jewish people. Your life is much easier. What does Hashem want of you? It's all he wants. The way Rabbi Yosef Albo in the Sefer HaIkram writes it. These are the end states. But you don't need to go get them on their own. You just follow the path of the mitzvos, and that will bring you there. And therefore, I suggested to the assembled, that's what we're celebrating. If we were to zoom out and say, well, is it better for us to be around or not? Well, maybe it's better for us to not be around. After all, we have a two and a half year debate. And the conclusion of the debate is, we're better off to not be around. And yes, it's true. There are commentaries on that teaching in the Talmud that say, well, that's only for the sinners or for the lay people or the, the average people. But if someone's righteous, it's better for them to yes be around. But regardless, we're not talking about whether or not we're here or not. We are here. And we have great reason to celebrate the mitzvos because the mitzvos have transformative powers in them. Some mitzvahs, we, we, we think about them, and they don't make any sense. They, they, there's, there's no rationale behind it. They yes, we do struggle to understand them, and we have the, the Sefer Chinuch, the, the, the book that guides us through the mitzvahs. It gives us a snapshot of every mitzvah and, and a reason why. But we know that there are mitzvahs that make no sense to us, and there are mitzvahs that, are, that seem so random, and we don't understand exactly how they lead to some end, end point. But Moses is telling the Jewish people, just follow the mitzvahs and you will arrive at this end point. And that's something which is a great reason to celebrate. Because we're here. Maybe it's better for us to not be here, but we are here. And once we're here, we better be very careful to, to, to live proper lives. How to live? It's the great question that Socrates wanted to know. How are you supposed to live? There are many different ways to live. And in the streets of Athens, the great Greek philosopher Socrates asked every person, how are you supposed to live? And he didn't know the answer. None of them knew the answer. They were like Abraham, without any guide, without any direction. Now, Abraham was even greater than Socrates, and he found out on his own how he's supposed to live. But we're not like either one of them, because we know how to live. We're given the instructions. We're given the mitzvahs. And that is so wonderful, because now we can all transform ourselves into angels using the precise formulations that the Almighty laid out before us via Moshe. Is it easy? Of course, it's not easy, but it's infinitely easier than what, what Abraham had to do. And therefore, it's a whole different appreciation of what mitzvahs are. There's astounding benevolence of the Almighty where he's going to detail for us everything we need to do to achieve that great, grand, lofty stature. In my book, Upon a ten-stringed harp, which I perused again over Shabbos, and I really enjoyed it, I have to say. 
It's nice to kind of hold in your hands some of your handiwork. But the book is really about this point. We're told there are 630 mitzvos. And correspondingly, there are 613 parts of the body. And there are 613 parts of the soul. And all the mitzvos are designed to transform and to elevate what we could be, or what we are, into what we ought to be, into what we can aspire to be. It's all perfect. It's a complete guide for self-transformation. That's what Moshe is telling the Jewish people. Abraham, he had to work in ways that we could not even fathom. If we were placed in Abraham's shoes, it's quite likely that we would just remain pagans. Even if we wanted to improve, there were a lot of people that wanted to improve. And that maybe thought that the world around them was corrupt and evil. But only a titanic soul and willpower like Abraham can really change the paradigm. And he's the great hero who did it on his own. But the Jewish people, now, Moshe tells the Jewish people, you are in a completely different state. And he's highlighting, it's much easier for you. Abraham had to work excruciatingly hard to arrive at, so to speak, the promised land. He was 137 before he was able to receive the classification to be labeled as a person who feared God. But the Almighty infused all that power into the mitzvahs. And you just follow these rules. And they're eminently doable. And you can absorb all those incredible qualities and become worthy of being Abrahamic, being like Abraham. Maybe you won't be as great as Abraham, but we'll have, we'll be in the same class. And of course, you know, the next question is, well, you know, how exactly do mitzvahs do that? What are the interactions? What are the mechanisms by which mitzvahs actually change a person? That's a very advanced question, and we treated it in the book. But what the verse is telling us is is that there are shortcuts to becoming an angel, loving God, fearing God, walking in God's ways. You could see a person and say, this is a representation of God in the world, so to speak, because this person is emulating God. And just as God is eternal, a person can achieve some degree of immortality. We could earn Olam Abba with our righteousness. It's so easy. Moses telling the Jewish people, and yes, it is. All he wants are the mitzvahs. And therefore, it's something we can really celebrate. I think it's a valuable thing to remember every once in a while, because, you know, the cynics and the naysayers can say, well, you know, some mitzvahs are for me. This is not for me. You hear that people say that. This is not for me. This is too hard. This, well, it conflicts. You know, the, 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 the college football games are played on Shabbos. Ah, it's so, so, so hard to do it. And, uh, you know, the real cynics can say, well, you know, why does God even want it? And uh, why is he making my life so hard? And why is there such a restrictive diet? And so many things I can't do on Shabbos, etc., etc. There are ways for us to complain. But if you think about it from, you know, a higher level perspective, Abraham did not have this. And he would have given up everything to do this. He was working for 100 years. Before we could achieve what we can, what we can do, uh, quite easily, relatively. 
Obviously, it's still a lot of work, but you have a path. You have a guide. And that is something which is worth celebrating every single day. We say the blessings. The Almighty sanctified us. We're blessing Him. We're thanking Him. He sanctified us by commanding us in the mitzvahs. Just the fact that we have it is a great, great reason to celebrate. And uh, when I finished that message, I said some very nice things about my daughter. I'm not going to say it here because I don't want to embarrass her. I embarrassed her enough there. I don't want to embarrass her anymore. But I, I wished her that she should utilize all her great strengths and, and qualities that the Almighty endowed her with. And now that she has the mitzvos as guides, uh, please God, she too will arrive at this endpoint of, of being a person who really embodies the Almighty in the world, so to speak, walks in God's ways, and loves God and fears God and serves God with all her heart and with all her soul. And I think it's a valuable thing for us to keep in mind at all times. We have the potential for real greatness, and Abraham did as well, but we have something that he did not have. And that is something we should really, really celebrate. And most try and convince the Jewish people, listen, listen, now, now, oh Israel, at the end of this journey, what does Hashem want of us? It's so much easier. We don't have to try to achieve fear of God, love of God, walking in God's, God's ways. Imagine if you didn't know anything and you'd say, well, how do I copy God? Imagine how hard of a question that would be. You have to try to interpret from everything that happens, well, you know, God's behavior and how he's treated. How, how would you even go about doing that? Abraham did that. You see Abraham's kindness, Abraham's righteousness, Abraham's concern for others. He did that all on his own. To expect us to do that, it's just not possible. But we have been granted and gifted with this incredible gift and that we should celebrate every single day. As always, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. Uh, please go to this uh, survey, torchsurvey.com, or you can find it in the link of all the podcasts. Help us improve the podcast. We want to become better. You know, we, we want to improve in our offerings and uh, give us, you know, there's plenty of room for feedback where you can share some tips and what you like more, what you like less. Uh, you want to hear more of this, more of that, less of this, less of that, different formats, different times, uh, different other things that we can do, other services that we can provide, other resources that we can provide. We want to get better. I, you know, I happen to be a little biased. I think we're quite good, but there's always room for improvement. So, uh, visit torchsurvey.com, click the link, share your feedback. And you can send me an email if you happen to want some of those business cards. I'm trying to, I'm working really hard. I'm on a crusade to disprove Rabbi Busto. He thinks it's a terrible idea and he may be right because I have gotten a lot of people who agreed with him. Uh, I spoke to someone like, actually, no, Rabbi Busto was right. This is a terrible idea. And you know what? It's possible, but maybe, uh, I'm still trying. <laughs> I'm still trying. So if you want to uh, get some uh, business cards, uh, send me an email, rabbiwalbidgmail.com. I'll have the mail to you. We'll see. It's it's something we could try. It's not so expensive. We try that. And as always, the image is rabbiwalbidgmail.com. For any questions, comments, or feedback, I look forward to hearing from you.